Welcome to the Self-Love Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Rosenberg. I am the author of The Human Magnet Syndrome, The Codependent Narcissist Trap, and the creator of the Codependency Cure and Hitch Trauma Resolution Treatment Programs. If you identify with codependency, which I renamed the Self-Love Deficit Disorder, or you're caught in the crosshairs of narcissistic abuse or gaslighting, you've come to the right place. Expect the very best information that I know, whether from my own personal journey of recovery or through my 35 years of professional experience. What separates my work from others is my understanding of the origin of the problem, the solutions, and the necessity to take responsibility for one's broken picker that always points them to the dream of the soulmate, but the nightmare of the cellmate. So join my self-love recovery community and set your sights on the cure, self-love abundance. Welcome to my latest YouTube video. I'm Ross Rosenberg, the author of The Human Magnet Syndrome and the creator of the Codependency Cure Treatment Program. This video is going to be about gaslighting, but it's going to be a different take. Normally, gaslighting is the systematic manipulation by a sociopathic narcissist, someone with narcissistic personality disorder, someone who is a sociopath, has antisocial personality disorder, or someone who has narcissistic personality disorder with sociopathic traits. And I say that because by definition, gaslighting is done purposefully, planfully, and strategically. Therefore, the narcissist knows what they're doing and is not doing this through a narcissistic accident. I want to start by giving a broad definition of gaslighting. Now, I have a whole chapter in my book, The Human Magnet Syndrome, devoted to this and a six-hour seminar that's available at selfloverecovery.com on the topic. Gaslighting is the systematic manipulation of a person's environment in order to prove to them that they have a problem that either didn't exist previous to the relationship or only existed as a minor or at worst moderate problem for which this person was able to control or cope with. So gaslighting preys upon vulnerable people, namely people who have self-love deficit disorder, which is my term for codependency. SLD, self-love deficient, is the person. So gaslighters prey upon SLDs in order to control them, isolate them, not because they're sadistic, and some are, but because they have an extreme sense of entitlement and superiority. So when a gaslighter gaslights the victim, the SLD, they are not doing it just because they want to have fun, they enjoy seeing the person suffer, but to meet their own needs. And the way they do that is they do this form of brainwashing. I have a client who explained when she was a child, she was the only normal one in the family. Her father and mother insisted that she be the family representative. She be the family caretaker. She helped mom, who had four other children, her younger siblings, manage the household. In other words, manage mom. And she helped dad because dad was not involved. He was out working or kind of doing his own narcissistic thing. Let me digress for a second. For those who follow my work with the human magnet syndrome, which is all about SLD or codependency, same thing, you should understand that SLD comes from attachment trauma. 
think of a pyramid. Attachment trauma is at its base. That is the trauma experienced in the expanse of someone's childhood and adolescence at the hands of a narcissistic and SLDD parent. That trauma is like PTSD or CPTSD and how the brain manages it. But we are talking about an expanse of time, a traumatic life history starting from birth till later adolescence. That trauma is so severe, the brain unconsciously, because we don't make this decision, decides like a thermostat, a regulatory mechanism. When the heat gets too high and it senses danger, mechanisms within the brain get activated that protect it. And what happens is it takes these memories and it moves them from the conscious part of the brain into the part of the brain that cannot be accessed through conscious memory. This way, the person doesn't have to think about it, doesn't have to remember it, doesn't have to go through the conscious experience of anxiety, fear, reliving the trauma, and it's tucked away in our limbic system, specifically the amygdala. So attachment trauma is the whole expanse of the trauma sequestered into the limbic system, not remembered emotionally, but yet impactful in a person's current psychological functioning. From the attachment trauma is core shame, which is a fundamental belief that someone is not lovable, someone is not good enough, someone is just broken inside. From the, the core shame is pathological loneliness, is what I call an existential disease, a feeling of deep bone aching pain that reminds a person of how worthless the shame they are and that pain only goes away when they're in a relationship the next level of the pyramid is the relationship addiction and that compels a person to be in a romantic relationship in order to take care of the pain therefore without the relationship they will experience withdrawal symptoms which is the pathological loneliness and anyone who is an SLD knows all about this. And from the, the addiction is at the top of the pyramid is SLDD or codependency. And that is what we know of it through its observable symptoms and its reported symptoms. So back to the gaslighting. So this client, we'll call her Susan. When Susan was discussing with me some of her memories of her childhood, which would be the conscious aspects of her childhood, which I call data memories. By the way, all the information that I talk about with regard to trauma and trauma resolution and trauma integration is available in the six-hour seminar called Healing the Inner Trauma Child. So in order to move forward in my treatment program, I started to use some of my hitch techniques. And as we discovered her memories, both the data memories, what she could recall without the emotions, or the affective memories, which are the memories that are sequestered, taken away, put into the limbic system, along with the memories that are attached to those emotions so that we can bring it forward so that she can now discuss it with me consciously and we can work through it. We call this trauma integration. She became more and more aware of how she was a tool for her mother and her father, specifically her mother. Her mother kept telling her over and over again of how special she is, how she was God sent. She was her little miracle. 
she praised her with special favors. And all the time she was told that she is the only healthy one in the family. So my client, she grew up believing that she was only good, only likable, only lovable when she just took care of people. And she found great happiness in it. She found self-esteem in it. She was always told whenever there was a family gathering, but how she saved mom for so much grief. Dad, if you would participate in conversations, refer to her as this little angel. And she, uh, she grew up having, and I air quotes again, good self-esteem about her worth. Her memories were, and I air quote it, positive and happy because she helped mom and mom loved her and dad loved her so much, air quotes. So fast forward, Susan grew up identifying that she is a good girl, a good teenager, a good young adult, a good adult eventually when she takes care of people, when she uses her, and I quote this, God-given qualities and gifts to take care of others. But Susan's husband was a pathological narcissist. He was a covert narcissist to be specific. Like the rest of the human magnet syndrome compelled relationships, the two people get pulled together because of a dysfunctional need. The dancer metaphor, the dance leader needs a follower and the follower needs the leader and together they dance and they enjoy themselves. And of course, only the narcissist gets the rewards, the awards and the codependent, they're in the background. So typical to the human magnet syndrome, because of her attachment trauma, because of the resulting relationship template, because of how the chemistry interacts, the opposite chemistry interacts, or the human magnet syndrome attraction of opposite personalities, her husband naturally was a pathological narcissist, and in this case, a covert narcissist. And when he first met her, he spotted her across the room and he noticed how pretty, how attractive she was, how accommodating she was, how helpful she was. I mean, she was, she was a host of this party. She was working the room, making sure everyone was happy. And he just fell in love with that. And if you read my human Magnus in her book, you'll, you'll understand how that works. And he just, you know, he just saw her as his angel. In fact, that's what he called her also, just like her dad. And when she saw him, she was transfixed with his rugged looks, his individuality, his, his sense of humor, his muted seduction, and the fact that she just thought he was really interesting. So they meet, and of course, like all human magnet syndrome relationships start, huge limerence, huge explosion of like perfect perfection, the soulmate, the walking on air, all that stuff that happens when two terribly lonely people meet and are delivered out of that pain. And they fall in love with this explosion of happiness. And eventually the narcissist personality emerges. Sometimes that, that happens as soon as like a week, sometimes a year, in some cases, a couple of years. It all depends how sociopathic the narcissist is. If it's a garden variety narcissist, just with someone with narcissistic personality disorder, or someone with a borderline personality disorder, you can pretty much see some of those pathological symptoms pretty early, even if you're a codependent or an SLD. 
Well, we're going to call Susan's husband, Mitch. So Mitch wanted a wife like Susan who would take care of him, who would be the mother of a very large family, which was his narcissistic fantasy, who would be responsible for most of the family's needs while letting him do what he enjoyed most, which was working and gambling, going to strip bars, and a lot of other despicable activities. From the very beginning, Mitch told Susan how beautiful, wonderful, angelic she was. And anytime she did something nice or helpful to him, he just was effusive with praise. So she came to me and she saw one of my videos or read my book, like most people come to me when they're seeking psychotherapy or treatment from my self-love recovery program, and came to me and explained that Mitch left his computer open and she looked into his emails and found many letters to different women, escorts, and other unsavory examples of his deception, his lies, his manipulation, and his pathological narcissism. And she was blown away because up until that point, she thought she had this wonderful marriage, this wonderful relationship. It was balanced. He was the bread earner and she took care of the family. He adored her for that and she adored him. And incidentally, I should say, and I apologize, that by the time she came to seek my help, she'd been married three years. So by the time she saw his emails, she was blown away. It was like an explosion, an emotional psychological explosion. Her foundation of reality was just blown away. Everything that she knew about Mitch was in question and what she knew about herself was in question. And so she reached out to me and we had a couple sessions and I noticed something. I noticed she was gaslit. Going back to the definition of gaslighting, a systematic manipulation of someone's environment, physical, emotional, personal, uh, occupational, medical environment, so that a person believes they have a problem that didn't exist or existed in moderation. And over time, the gaslighting keeps proving the problem while proving a person's inability, disability to cope with it. So much so that they have to depend on the gaslighter to take care of them which is the gaslighter's way of making sure that their spouse, their partner, their friend doesn't leave them. But in this case, it was odd because Mitch and her parents kept telling her how good she was, how sweet she was, how kind she was, how angelic. And all of a sudden it hit me. And I was thinking to myself in the session, she's a gaslighting victim, but she wasn't gaslit to feel broken, bad, useless, not good enough, unlovable. She was gaslit to believe that she had little to no problems and she was an exemplary wife, an outstanding mother, and everything that she did was good. But the truth of the matter is, she wasn't that good at everything and she had multiple emotional and psychological problems. But because of the gaslighting, which with all SLDs starts in the childhood and then manifests in their adult relationships, she became the belief that she had no problems and that she could take care of almost anything. Maybe not so much herself, but that didn't matter as long as she 
fulfilled her angel role, air quotes again, and I explained to her that she was gaslit. And like a lot of my clients, which sometimes is not really good, they come to me and they have researched, and I should quote it, researched their problem on YouTube, which can be a blessing or it can be a curse because the information on YouTube is not all accurate. And sometimes it's without context. And most of the times it's not informed by clinical psychological principles and theories and practice. So I explained to her that she was gaslit and that she was gaslit to be normal when in truth she had severe psychological, emotional problems. And they all went back to her attachment years, her childhood, her adolescence, when she was not allowed to live her life as any child should to move gracefully up and down through these developmental phases, pain, happiness, normal childhood. You come out of it and you have good self-esteem and you go to the next developmental phase. Well, she was not allowed to go through those developmental phases. She was stunted and she was stunted because she was given the responsibility to take care of everyone because she was gaslit, she was brainwashed to believe that this was a good thing. She never once thought of it as something negative, but yet she remembered being sad and depressed. She remembered not being in clubs that she wanted to be in in high school, not being allowed to be in athletics, and she was athletic. She had an interest in theater, her parents encouraged her in all of these events. And this is where the manipulation and gaslighting comes in. They, they complimented all of her abilities, her gifts, but then following those compliments, whether it was direct, passive aggressive or covert, were direct messages about her responsibility to take care of the family, of mom, of dad. And it wasn't done in an overtly nasty, coercive manner. It was done through smiles and compliments. So she was convinced that being her family's savior, being her family's caretaker was her lot in life, which is a blessing that God gave her and her family was quite religious. And that was part of the gaslighting. And she was consciously grateful of it. But yet there was this ache in her heart the sadness and depression. So as a child, she might've thought, gosh, I wish I can go and play with my friends or as a teenager, go out and hang out with my friends, date that, that boy next door, join the soccer team and just have fun at a party. Well, she stopped herself from thinking those thoughts and she did it in a way that she was unaware of. And we call that disassociation. She was able to block those feelings, which would inhibit the thoughts or the desires. So if she didn't have this feeling of loneliness, if it wasn't blocked, those desires would manifest in a deep yearning. And because she's a child, a teen, a young adult, that would manifest in motivation to pursue what she wants. And if someone was trying to thwart that, then there would be conflict, normal stuff. But none of that happened because anytime a thought of anger, resentment, sadness, or realization, what was happening to her, that was blocked. And in its place was the gaslit narrative. I am such a beautiful, wonderful, 
lovable, loving person. I have no reason to complain. So instead of having a childhood and adolescence filled with the ups and downs, happiness, you know, sadness, anger, joy, normal stuff, like I said before, hers was muted. So if you met her as a child or as a teen, she'd be smiling all the time, but it would be one of those empty smiles. She would be always scanning the environment, looking around how she could help others, and then feeling, and I say feeling, quoting, feeling good about herself when she took care of others. But in reality, she was deeply lonely. She craved friends, but she couldn't ever get to the point where she could actually put that together consciously and get behind it emotionally. There were a few times there was a breakthrough. Uh, I, I would say breakthrough in a good way. There was a, um, a fissure, a crack in this cement dungeon of hers where she all of a sudden wanted, one, one example was she wanted to go to prom and her parents said no and she got mad and she cried and she got really, really depressed and she actually told her mom she wanted to kill herself. And that freaked out the whole family. It, oh my gosh, think about how this family depends on her. And now this teen is depressed and, and suicidal. It just made everyone completely fall apart and anxious. It was the family's decompensation that brought her out of her depression and suicidal ideations. Okay, I know that sounds odd, but this is gaslighting. And so she jumped back on the gaslighting horse, got back on, on the saddle, and she just took the reins and she went forward. Okay, so we're in therapy. All of this is unfolding. We're talking about it. We're processing it. We're doing what I do in my treatment program. And she finally is able to acknowledge that what she knows as reality was not hers. What she believes about herself is not her own belief. And through this course of treatment, which was focused on this type of gaslighting, she was able to understand that she always had problems. She had deep problems. She had severe problems. So in summary, what we're talking about is a form of gaslighting that reverses the narrative. Instead of systematically manipulating a person to believe they have a problem for which only the narcissist could love them for and would stay with them, they are a person with no problems a person who has an impeccable background, a person who has wonderful gifts, a person that is unusually kind, giving, and mentally healthy. Well, that's gaslighting because Susan had severe psychological problems. And the conflict between her unconscious sadness, loneliness, terrible self-esteem, core shame, and her conscious, I love myself because I take care of everyone else. They finally, at this moment, when she saw her husband's emails, they crashed into each other. Now, she didn't know what to make of it. She sought my help and she realized how much damage has been wrought upon her by being pushed and manipulated to believe that she had no problems. Because if she grew up, even in this dysfunctional family of hers, and knew she had problems, she thought, and I think she was probably right, that she would have been better off as what she called a normal codependent, air quotes again, who knew how much everything sucked, but couldn't do anything about it. 
but no, no, she thought everything was great. And so her mind, her brain had to work overtime, double time in order to reconcile reality from the fiction. So if you are someone or you know someone who has been gaslit to believe that you don't have a problem, that you are exceptionally mentally healthy, emotionally healthy, when there's something inside of you that says something else, or, and listen very carefully, because this is the number one sign of this type of gaslighting. In fact, most gaslighting is a psychosomatic medical condition. It is the manifestation of the unconscious turmoil and the weakest link of the body. And for some people, it could be, you know, problems with their neck, their back, arthritis, headaches, ulcers, or other people can be more global, like fibromyalgia or other types of disorders where they're too sleepy or tired all the time. So if you are that person or you know someone like that, get some help because, and this sounds paradoxical, you need to own your problems. You need to accept your problems. You need to be that problemed person in order to realize what you should have been. You never were healthy, and to be healthy, you have to work through the problems. You have to acknowledge what happened to you. You have to understand what you lost and other accomplishments that happened through psychotherapy or a treatment program. So I hope this video helped. I know there's a lot of people out there that this will resonate with. If you want to know more information about me, just go to my company, Self Love Recovery Institute at selfloverecovery.com and all the stuff that you'll need to know about me and what I do and, and the educational resources I have will be there. And always never forget, it's never too late to be the person you should have been. All right, you take care and be well. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Building a self-love recovery community means the world to me. Spread the word. Let people know what we're talking about. And until we meet next, I'd like to leave you my favorite of all sayings by George Eliot. It's never too late to be what you might have been. Don't forget that. Our future is in our hands, despite what anyone has told you before. You can be the self-love abundant person you've always dreamt of. It's your birthright.